Welcome to the Reality Check Podcast. I'm Zachary Phillips. So today I wanted to break down 2020. You know, like the lessons learnt, the accomplishments, the stuff that we've done, and the future goals. What have I learnt this year? Well, let's just set the context. This year has obviously been unprecedented with COVID and a variety of other things, but the main impact has been the the for me the 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 statewide lockdowns the the actual impact of the coronavirus on my personal life as in the the, the sickness has been minimal to none i've known a couple of friends who've had family members who've got it and a couple of those who've had family members who've passed away but personally i've not known anyone who's got the virus nor you know been impacted by it in that sense so the impact really has been the social the fear the lockdown stuff. And what, what has this taught me? When it first happened, I was, you know, obviously the went through that little bit of a shock thing, as in my gym closed down, there was issues with potentially with work, what can you do with shopping? There was all of the, the sort of unknowns that impacted things. But very quickly, I sort of settled into a new routine. Where I live in Victoria, Australia, we actually had the strictest lockdown in the world for the longest time. At one stage, we could only travel within five kilometer radius of our house, and most people couldn't work. So it was quite an extreme situation for, for months on end. But it, it sort of taught me a lot. It taught me that I was doing a lot of things in my regular day-to-day life out of habit, and not because I enjoyed it. And when my life got very, very, very simplified, I was able to find a lot of joy in the smaller things. And I realized that even more so, more to a, of a greater extent than what I already thought, that I valued my alone time, I valued my reading time, I valued my family time. I became very appreciative of the things that I had in my life, both internally and also physically. About a year prior, I'd started investing in a home gym, and it's, 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 it's basically got everything I would ever want. So I was significantly lucky to have that over lockdown and sort of really got into it, which was great. And it sort of showed me the, the, the value of following a life of your choosing. This sounds obvious, you know, do, do what you like, follow, live by your values. But it's, it's, it's quite deep when you've come from a history of trauma and neglect. When I was growing up, particularly with my father, I felt very obliged to just sort of toe the line, eat whatever minimal food I was given, just follow follow the, the the commands and instructions given, and just sort of just sort of interpret and work my way through, without really having much in the way of choices, much in the way of self direction, much in the way of sort of anything other than just keeping safe and just sort of going along with it, and. I suppose ever since then, I've realized that, well, this life is my life. I can make my own choices. I can do my own things. But the problem being there was that sort of realization comes again and again and again. So, for example, with food, obviously I can choose my own food. Obviously I can eat whatever I like. But I'm starting to be able to, you know, every time there's an option, it's like, well, where do you want to go out to dinner? It's like, well, in the past I would be like, wherever you like. I don't mind. Because I didn't mind, or at least I thought I didn't mind. I've, I've struggled to hold and have preferences. Once again, it sounds very weird to say, but given my past and my upbringing, I was sort of encouraged or sort of forced or sort of just 
it was implied that I should just go along with it. So lockdown showed me that the choices I've made in my past to, to move me towards a particular particular things that I do enjoy, living a life by my own values, which was in this case having a home gym, was a very good choice because, you know, when the world just craps itself and, you know, the gyms are closed, everything's closed, I've got access to something that I thoroughly benefit from and thoroughly enjoy. And then I suppose it's about applying those same lessons throughout the rest of my life. What sort of people do I want to be associating with? What sort of work do I want to have? What sort of relationships do I want to foster? What do those relationships look like? And, you know, in terms of food-based things, it's like, well, do I like these sort of foods? Should I just make my own preferences? Should I follow these things? And and I'm sort of leaning towards living a life that I want to be living. And that has compounded and it sort of benefits the mental state because if you're sort of doing things that you don't inherently like, that's going to come at a cost, a cost to your mental state. So it's far better to slowly and gradually move your life towards a life that's right in line with your values. At least that's what I'm discovering, what I've learned. The second thing that the lockdown in this year has taught me was that I really need to focus on the opportunities when they arise. So once again, over lockdown, it's like things were blocked off. My usual life was blocked off. But what was available? Well, I had more time to read. I had more time to write. I had more time to spend with my family and more time to lift, right? I could only do certain things and I couldn't do other things. So rather than sort of hating with the world, hating life. I could go, well, I've always wanted to go down these paths. That's what I need to focus on right now. And I can really go hard on those things that I didn't didn't usually value or didn't usually put in that same time or commitment to because there was so much other stuff on. But now those things are gone. The options to do them are gone. What's available? Okay, well, those things that are available now, that's what I'm going to work on. That's what I'm going to focus on. And there's an analogy here to playing with my son. I've realized, well, backtracking a bit, I, I'll, I'll come home from work or from the gym or wherever, and I'll be like, I want to hang out with my son and do, you know, go for a bike ride with him or play something physical with him or watch a show with him or whatever I, I feel like I want to do with him. And he obviously gets a vote. And being that he's young, he's only four now, his vote really does matter. It's hard to sort of sway him to do what I want to do. Obviously, it's a negotiation and all that sort of stuff. But what it sort of taught me was that if he wants to play physical games with me, I should jump on that opportunity. If he wants to have a conversation with me, I should jump on that opportunity. Because if I try and force him down those paths when I want it, he won't be as engaged and into it. So I've realized that when the opportunity comes to do something, I should take that opportunity rather than sort of try and force it and change it and sort of impose my will. Now, obviously, uh, there's, there's, you know, nuance to all of this and, you know, relationship dependent and all of that sort of stuff. But I found that wherever possible, it's just easier to go with the flow, provided that going with the flow is itself something I would want to do. So if I come home and Archer just wants to talk and play, that's what I'll do with him. If he wants to do some exercise with me, great, let's do that. Other times I'll be like, hey, hey, son, I'm doing this. Come join me. And then he'll come and sort of, you know, conform to my will, for lack of a better expression. But I've just found that when when I try and push my will upon and do what I want to do, it rarely, if ever, feels as good, rarely do we feel as connected as if I just sort of go with it. And that analogy applies to work, to life, to relationships, to everything. If a, if a friend or 
you know, someone that's I'm romantically connected with or a work person or whatever like that. It's like, hey, do you want to catch up and do this thing? I find it easier to go with it, provided once again, I want to do the thing than it is to sort of impose my will and push down certain paths. This applies to travel. So right now, as a recording, international travel is basically non-existent. Even interstate travel is basically non-existent. So my partner and I have been wanting to travel around our state. So rather than trying to force it and go interstate or overseas, now's the time to see my state, to travel the to travel Victoria and enjoy it for what it is. Because, you know, hopefully there'll be no other time in the future where all of these restrictions are in place and we'll have every other opportunity open to travel. So why not use or why not use the the limitations and restrictions as an excuse now to travel Victoria? Would have I wanted to do this had COVID not happened? Most likely not. But considering it has happened and considering I do have a goal to go down this path, why not take it? I, I, this year I've also become quite grateful for the health and happiness and the functionality of myself and of society, all things being considered. So, you know, depending on where you live, your government would have handled the COVID crisis quite different, differently. But all things considered, there's been, it's been, I've been quite, quite pleasantly surprised at how well we've coped, particularly where I come from in Australia. We were able to sort of cut it down and do, do, do quite well. People were able to follow the restrictions and there wasn't too much of a hassle. And that to me bodes well that we were able to, to respond to such a challenge as a society collectively quite well. Now, obviously, COVID didn't turn out or hasn't turned out to be as bad as it initially was going to be or initially feared to be, but we're still able to respond. So if something worse does come along, I'm confident that as a society, we'll be fine. And I'm grateful for, for, I'm so grateful for that because, you know, there's this idea of this sphere of influence. What, what can I personally impact? I can impact myself, my habits, my, my hygiene, my behaviors, my mental health to some extent. I can impact my family and my friends and my relationships and my work to some extent. But the further away from me it goes, the less I can do about it. Personally, I can't stop a global pandemic. There is little to nothing I can do to prevent it. The same thing for war, the same thing for environmental disasters. You're getting the idea. But the problem is, is those things can impact my life. So it's gr- I'm so grateful that society's responded as it has. And, and I suppose on the top of that, I've, I'm once again reaffirmed with the need to detach from the news cycle. For whatever reason, Australia is obsessed with the American news cycle, with Trump, with Black Lives Matter, with their COVID response. But I've never been to the United States. I know a couple of people who used to live there and all of that sort of stuff, but my personal life isn't too impacted by what's happening over there. And yet there's this tendency, particularly online, to sort of focus this is happening in the United States. What about Trump? He's, he's this, he's that. The Black Lives Matter movement, the police brutality, yada, yada, yada. It's terrible. It's disgusting. It's dangerous. It's, it's worrying. All of that sort of stuff. But ultimately, it has very little to no impact upon my life. My reality is almost has almost zero things to do with what's happening there. And yet, there's this sort of trap that we fall into, sort of consuming more and more and more news. So I've realized... The, the, the very strong need to limit, if not eliminate, most consumption of news media, social media, all of that sort of stuff. It's, it's toxic when it gets out of hand. And 
there's there's multiple theories as to why we sort of are driven by it, but the couple that I'll quickly rattle off is the you know obviously the social media is geared towards and there's you know very very strong computer algorithms designed to keep you re-engaging. You know we we are we are creatures of habit, we are creatures of uh, information consumption, and we are creatures of controversy. So the social media platforms are watching what we do, they're listening, and they're showing us what will keep us addicted and on the platform. That's just a fact. And beyond that, we, we, we have a desire to constantly learn new information. And it's just so easy to jump online to see new stuff. Even though we're not really learning anything new, it's just a click of the button away and bam, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter. And we're just bouncing around between it because the opportunity cost to just click back on is literally just, we swipe it and our phones are there. So what I've sort of learned within, my, within myself is to limit the amount of time I spend on it, both in terms of duration and um, the amount that I access it. So given what I do online, I'm getting notifications all day, every day. And it can become quite addictive. It's like, how many notifications did I get? Someone wants to talk to me. I need to respond. So I will check my social in the morning and check it at night and then just pretty much try to avoid it during the day. And when I find myself sort of veering towards it and going towards it, I'm like, did I mean to click on this? Was that a conscious, mindful decision or not? And when it's not, I sort of just look back and go, okay, well, how can I prevent that in the future? Because I want to try and I want to use it because it's a great tool, but I don't want it to control me or use me. It's just about being more mindful about that, I suppose. Let's talk about what I've gotten done and and where I'm sort of heading into the future, into 2021. So I was able to record and release a bunch of guided meditations on Insight Timer, Meditations and Talks, and that comes out as a follow-on from the success of the meditation courses and stuff on Skillshare which comes from a response and success of the book, How to Get Your Shit Together. How to Get Your Shit Together is currently selling five and a half copies every day. And Skillshare and Insight Time are going quite well. So I'm pretty happy with the, the the numbers and the growing and the responses and the reviews and all of that sort of stuff. I was able to release a 10-day mindfulness meditation toolbox course on Insight Timer. So it's a 10-day course that basically gives people a breakdown and a rundown of all the different options and ways that you can become mindful throughout your day, giving you a toolbox. And basically it's sort of like getting you started meditating and sort of answering all of those, those sort of beginner level questions. So I'll chuck a link down to how to get shit together to the Skillshare courses and to Insight Timer and you've got free access to all of those. But the idea was, well, a couple of things. It's, I'm glad to be able to have the opportunity to release and talk about it because meditation is it's a habit that's really helped in every capacity, particularly over 2020, in the sense that it helps me to see the reality of my situation. Fear thoughts come up, negative thoughts come up, anxiety comes up. You see it, you look at it, you see it for what it is, and then you can let it go. Out of all of the habits, out of all of the treatments, out of all of the things that I've ever done for my mental health, I can honestly say mindfulness meditation is the single one that I most recommend and that I most recommend people do gives your brain a chance to decompress, and it's almost like you're listening to yourself. You become your own therapist. So if you haven't already, please, please start meditating. Start with the links that I'll share with you in the show notes and just get onto it. I Moving forward, what I want to be able to create is I'm going to create a meditation book called, most likely, 
um, mindfulness meditation or just mindfulness. Um, mindfulness, a, a guide to the present moment, a guidebook to the present moment, something like that. And basically this will be sort of a, a physical book uh, that will expand upon the Insight Timer course and go in depth. And basically, once again, start as a, a, a beginner's instruction to mindfulness meditation. And there'll be a bunch of resources that people can go deep if they want to go deep. I'm no, I'm no meditation guru. I'm no meditation master. I'm not enlightened. I'm just a guy that uses meditation as a way to increase his focus, capacity, reduce the impacts of mental illness, and start to thrive. And I want to share that. And using my experience as a writer and as a teacher, I think I can do a good job of that. So obviously, there'll be a bunch of resources that you can go deeper if you so choose to. I also want to release or write and release a follow-up to how to get your shit together called How to Keep Your Shit Together. And that'll be basically a collection of the, the tips, tricks, techniques, and ideas that I've learned since writing How to Get Your Shit Together. And it will be the same format. So if you like that first book, stay tuned. It'll be coming out hopefully sometime in 2021. Um, but the, 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 the thing that might hamper that is, and if you, um, this might be news to some people, maybe not, but I've got a, another baby coming in the end of March. So obviously I'll take some time off from the podcast and all of that sort of stuff, but I'll keep you informed and obviously sort of drip feed the stuff and talk about it on social and all that sort of stuff. But yay, new baby. Um, if you've been following me since, you know, back in the day when four years ago, when Arch first came. I was quite nervous and anxious this time, obviously with experience and uh, personal development. I'm far, far, far less anxious and I'm very much looking forward to it. So that's great. Um, the final thing I've sort of started to do is really lock down my morning ritual and routines. As I've said before, mindfulness meditation has been the key. So every morning I start with 20 minutes of mindfulness meditation. And sometimes I also add to that a guided meditation. And on top of that, I'm doing a core strength and or a stretch routine, focusing on my lower back. And the reason I'm doing this to strengthen my sort of core and stretch the lower back is that I had this realization that I've been neglecting that area of my body. I've been avoiding certain exercises like squats and uh, bent over rows, and I've been avoiding certain stretches that target that area. And anyway, <laughs> I was doing a particular stretch in that area that was sort of loosening it up. And I had this sort of quite significant, massive emotional breakdown, emotional breakthrough in a sense. Like I felt happy and angry and excited and jealous and like just this, this absolute bundle of emotions released itself. And then I had this realization that I've been avoiding that part of my body. There's a very significantly uh, sort of groundbreaking book called um, The Body Keeps the Score. And in that book, it basically suggests that your body holds on to trauma. And I realized through stretching and strengthening these areas that that part of my body has been holding on to past trauma. And I'm not quite exactly sure what it is, but that's not necessarily the point. The point is that there's something happening there. So by strength, by strengthening the certain areas and stretching other areas, I'm basically sort of allowing my body to get that blood flow back, to heal, to, to grow. And I'm feeling great because of it. I've, I've started to sort of realize little things about my past that I haven't quite addressed. For example, when I was around seven, six, seven, eight-ish, my parents broke up. And I remember not feeling sad at the time, not being impacted emotionally at the time. Or at least that, that's what I told myself then. 
And that's what I told the people around me. I'm like, I'm fine. It's fine. But I wasn't fine. That was an act. Now, uh, part of me is like, well, why didn't the adults sort of <laughs> push and prompt and help me to express that? But that that's neither here nor there anymore. The reality is, is that I didn't mourn the breakup of the family. I didn't address it. I didn't quite uh, release that emotionality. And that was held in my lower back. And it's been held there ever since. So that's part of the things that have been released. So I'm sort of discovering the, the joys and the value of stretching. The, 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 but beyond that, the need to sort of lean into things that I don't quite enjoy or that I'm actively avoiding. So that's something I'm working on. The, the, the final thing that I want to sort of go into, two final things, is the, the, the reality of mental illness and the impact of the festive season. I'm recording this on the 29th of December, so we're sort of through the festive season. And and December for me is, is there's an additional challenge because Archer's birthday is in December, so there's extra sort of gatherings. I'm quite introverted. I prefer gatherings of, you know, two to six people at max, um, as opposed to sort of big social events. Other people are different, but I find that the big social events come at a cost. They, 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 they require me to have a big um, sort of recovery session afterwards. That's fine. I enjoy it, but it, it hurts. And in the past, I've had issues with with certain family members or just the, the concept of family itself, and that's added extra stress. So in the lead up to Christmas, I was worried. I'm freaking out about it, and I'm like, should I not go? I might bail, all of this sort of stuff. But then what I've started to learn, and once again, meditation's helped me to, to sort of check into myself, is when I was at the Christmas gatherings, I would make a habit of like, you know, every half hour, checking into myself. I was like, how am I feeling right now? What's the reality of my situation? And every time I'm like, I'm having a good time. I feel great. So what I realized was, was that I was afraid of, my, my fear was stopping me, not the reality of the situation. Perhaps in the past I had some bad experiences. I, I know I did. But my reality right now, in the moment, was great. There was one time at one of the family gatherings I needed to take a 45-minute walk just to decompress and clear my mind. I did that. I came back. Once again, having a great time. So what I've learned is that the, the what's happening in the moment may be different to what I think about is going to happen. So once again, through mindfulness, through introspection, through present state awareness, I can look at what's going to happen in the moment and judge things based on what's happening. And in the lead up, I'm learning to go, okay, well, I know that in the future, when I'm there at the event that I'm anxious about now, I am most likely going to be having a good time because that's what's happened recently in the past. But even if I'm not, I can leave. So I'm sort of attacking it from both ends. The final thing that I've really discovered is that the, re the reality of mental illness and the reality of trauma when you explain it and talk about it. So I obviously talk about it a lot on the podcast and social media and in person and with coaching clients and all of these sort of things that I do. It, it's hard to try and explain the impact of of mental illness on to, to to other people that don't have a shared experience. Because because mental illness is all internal. Because it only impacts you, you can't quite see what it's doing. So, you know, the analogy obviously is like compare it to a physical illness. If someone has no legs, it's very easy to see what they can and can't do. If someone's arms in a cast, you can easily see the impact of that. 
But the problem with mental illness is that you can't see it from the external. And in addition to that, there's stigma. So the person's trying to hide it. And in addition to that, they're trying to recover and sort of push through it because they don't want to be hampered and limited by it. So one of the things that I struggle to explain to people is that I might say yes to the same thing that I've said no to and vice versa because my internal mental state's different. It might look like it might not look like anything's different on your end, but internally on my end, something's changed. And I can't quite express that. That I'll also try and suggest that you know, for, for for example, like if you're if you're triggered or you're feeling traumatized or that sort of stuff, you might be able to push through potentially triggering events sometimes, but not at other times. So sometimes people have said or done things that have triggered me and made me think back to past traumas and it's really impacted my mind and my mental state. But the problem is, is that they might not know it. It's not their fault. That, that's fine and fair enough. But then it comes down to, well, how can I express to them that Sometimes my mental state will be impacted here. Sometimes I feel triggered. Sometimes I can't handle it. But other times I can. And how can I do that and express that to them without them getting offended? It's 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 quite a challenge and a nuance. So so the best response I've 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 discovered is to just be as open as and honest as possible. To have just those conversations say, hey, this is what I'm at and this is why I'm at. But obviously that can be quite hard, particularly in the moment. One of the things that happens when I'm feeling triggered and traumatized and that sort of stuff is that my ability to talk significantly drops and declines. So I lose the ability to explain why I'm feeling a certain way. So because of that, I've had to learn to say, hey, this is one of those times that I was telling you about. I can't talk right now. I will clarify this later. Because I also don't want to offend people. So it's like this delicate balance there. I've also learned the importance of practicing resilience. So once again, with, with, with sort of challenging social events, it's like, I would like, ideally I'd like to be able to attend them and not, not be impacted by them. But I know that part of it's my personality that enjoys some smaller gatherings and the other parts are a resilience thing. It's pushing through when the world pushes back at you. And once again, 2020 has been quite challenging. That's sort of impacted all of us and tested our resilience and added extra pressure and stress. But in, in order to get stronger, you want, you want to sort of push your limits, but you don't want to be pushed to breaking. I like the exercise analogy. When, you, when you're lifting, you want to sort of tense your muscles and pressure your muscles, but you don't want to break your muscles. So you, you lift heavy, heavy enough that your muscles are under stress, but not so heavy that they break. And the same thing's true for your mental health, I find at least. Like if you recluse and you just hide and you don't do anything, you might not damage yourself, but you're not going to get any better. And in fact, you might sort of get into this habit of avoidance. So it's good to sort of push yourself where you can, but not overdo it. And once again, it becomes a level of self-awareness gained through, you know, reflections and meditations that can help you to sort of discover what your limit is and also be aware that the limits can change. And this is once again, one of these things that I, I struggle to explain to people or people struggle to understand is that my limits will vary up and down. What I can do on one day, I may not be able to do on other days. And and that, you know, it might not make sense to you. And logically, it might not make sense to you, but it sort of doesn't have to. I know myself. <sighs> but then it becomes a balancing act of them trying to show that they care and push. So basically, like what I'm getting at here is that communication is key. And really, it's, it's all, it's all a matter of perception. So 
what one person might consider kindness or caring. Another person may consider offensiveness. So if, 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 you sh- if you're struggling with your mental health and someone's like, hey, how are you going? What are you doing for work? And you say to them, oh, man, I've been struggling. I'm not really working at the moment. And they, and they sort of follow that up with some you know, questions. They might think that they're being caring or, or kind, you know, talking about your life, helping you through, yada, yada. But you might be taking that as an offense because you're like, you've been struggling, right? What I'm, what I'm sort of driving at here is, is that it's, it's, easy to, it's easy to think the worst of people. It's easy to, 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 to sort of worry that they're judging you, worry that they're sort of implying certain things. Because people's perceptions are different. What one person finds easy, another person will find hard and vice versa. So once again, it's a matter of open and honest communication and a matter of thinking the best of people. This year, particularly this Christmas, I've really tried to just assume the best. If someone asks a question that could be taken two ways, I'll assume the positive every time. And 99% of the time, I'm correcting that assumption. Most of the time, my internal issues, my mental health is causing me, my lack of self-worth all of those sort of issues from my past will cause me to interpret things upon the negative. When the reality is, is that their intentions are good. Either, either I've misinterpreted it or they've said it in a way that could be ambiguous. But either way, most, if not all of the time, their intent is good. And if I can just lean towards that and believe that, there'll be, you know, there'll be, it leads to good things. And if I can lead, if I can lean in on that, it just makes, makes everything better, makes interactions better. And then it compounds and, you know, you're more likely to have a good time and all of that sort of stuff. So just to end the podcast here, I want to suggest that you trust yourself. You know you better than anyone else does. And obviously, self-awareness and self-discovery is itself a journey, one that we're all taking continuously. You know, you don't ever truly know yourself, but learning who you are and how you respond and what you like, what you dislike is, is vital. And if you find yourself sort of, you've got an opinion or an intuition or an idea and someone else comes with something contrary, trust yourself, lean into yourself and start making choices that benefit you, particularly benefit you in the long term. Start your exercise, start your meditation Start pursuing passions and hobbies and ideas and beliefs and all that sort of stuff that you choose. Because in a year, in two years, in 10 years, your life will be significantly better because of that. So I wish you all a happy new year and a healthy and productive 2021. And as always, if you want to connect with me, head over to my website, zachary-phillips.com. Connect with me on social. I'm everywhere at Zach P. Phillips. And yeah, shoot me a message. Let me know how you're going and ask any questions you like. Cheers.